Hello and welcome to this exceptional two-part podcast series featuring a faculty panel moderated by Vice Provost Dr. Savitra Dixon-Saxon. Listen as Dr. Dixon-Saxon opens up with the definition of cultural humility. Um, I had a chance for at the end of last week and some more this week to start working with a group of panelists, um, individual, a panel of individuals who referred to me by their program, by their school deans. Um, and so I'm excited about you all hearing from them because I think it's important for you to do that. But before I move on to introducing them, I would like to take their recommendation and define what we are talking about when we refer to cultural humility. It's so important when you have conversations like this to establish a common language. Um, and so according to the NIH, cultural humility is a lifelong process of self-reflection and self-critique where the individual not only learns about somebody else's culture, but starts with an examination of his, her, their own beliefs and cultural identities. And so um, I'm really excited that we can have this conversation. We decided when we got together that they will introduce themselves by giving you their name, their program affiliation, and what they do at the university. So I'm going to start with my colleague, Gina Jacobson, and have her introduce herself. Thank you. Um, I'm Gina Jacobson, and I am the assessment coordinator for the social work programs. Thank you, Gina. Tamika? Thank you. Good morning. Of course, I'm Tamika McGee, um, core faculty member of the School of Counseling, but I'm also the facilitator of the SOC's faculty culture humility group and lead moderator of our recent sacred space um, process group for which faculty and administrators attended. Thank you, Tamika. Kathy Cooley? Yes. <laughs> I'm Kathy Cooley. I'm core faculty in the clinical mental health program. Thank you very much. Our faculty excellence award winner, Dana Marie. Hello, I'm Dana Marie Thomas. I'm senior core faculty in the School of Public Policy and Administration. Thank you very much. Lamart, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Lamart Hightower, uh, postdoc fellow in the uh, College of Human Services. And uh, starting at the end of this month, I will be a contributing faculty member. Thank you, Lamart. Good morning, Jesse. Will you introduce yourself? Good morning. I'm Jesse Lee. I'm the program coordinator for the new Forum School of Criminal Justice. Thank you, Jesse. Good morning, Antoinette. Good morning to you. I am Antoinette Pick and of my postdoc fellowship, and I am with the School of Human Services. Thank you. Thank you, Antoinette. Sharupa. Hi there. Good morning, everyone. I am Sharupa, and I am the program director for the master's program in psychology and MS and PhD for developmental psychology. Thank you very much. Kathy, uh, KG. <laughs> Good morning all, I'm Kathy Goodrich Purnell. I teach in the School of Social Work and um, I'm the co-chair of our diversity committee and some other initiatives with Gina Jacobson. Thank you, 
Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Benton. Hello, good morning to everyone. I'm Benton. I'm core faculty with the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program. Thank you. Greg? Good morning, everyone, or afternoon, wherever you are. My name is Greg Campbell, and I'm core faculty with the School of Public Policy and Administration. Thank you so much, Greg. Nina? Good morning, and fresh off a hair-raising drive through the city, I'm Nina Neighbors, uh, Associate Dean for the School of Psychology. Thank you so much. Thank you all. And I'm going to go ahead and get started. Tamika, what can we be, what can we do to be known as a college or faculty who demonstrate cultural humility? I think um, for me, the number one thing is to openly prioritize our commitment to developing culture of humility by one, creating a formal training to which everyone must complete annual, annually, very much like our ethics training. Um, and two, um, making that self-exploration or that discovery mandatory for all faculty, meaning going beyond the SHARPS requirement to attend some event, but require accountability for exploration and participation. And as I said in my introduction, in the SOC, we have the Faculty Cultural Humility Group that we're doing, but that might also mean you know, some required sessions with the DNI ambassadors. Kathy Cooley, what are some of the things you think we can do to prepare our students to demonstrate cultural humility in the academic and professional environment? I think it starts with living it out, right? So as we role model that for our students and are curious about them, we begin to empower them. We begin to take them under our wings and provide opportunities for them. Um, and they're watching us, they're learning from us on, on how to do that with our students, with our faculty, with our colleagues, with our community. Um, and I think there's a level of personal accountability too. Are we staying accountable to challenging some of the barriers that we have institutionally, so. Dana Marie, in your work, thank you, Kathy, in your work with our students, are you, how have you handled resistance to developing in this way? Well, one of the things uh, in terms of handling resistance, I like to get their buy-in and find out what their resistance is, excuse me, their vision is regarding their uh, education. And I, and I share a, a story uh, with them uh, and it kind of breaks down the walls. I said, you know, I share that I've noticed my own tendencies and habits over the years and how life happens and uh, uh, when I was getting my dissertation and it's, it's almost like I would pick up a shovel and start digging and as though I could dig my way out of my circumstances and my problems with the dissertation and then I looked up and I saw that it kept, get, that it, it kept getting deeper and deeper and then one, real, one day I realized like my shovel, as mm -hmm. I call it, uh, was limited and that in terms of my available knowledge and my uh, my skill set. And so then I realized that my instructor was there to help me and to be my advocate. And that's how I, I share with my students that I'm there to help them so-called pick up their shovel, redefine their shovel, and um, help them move forward in the process. Hmm. Okay. 
Thank you for that, Dana Marie. Um, Gina, you know, some of our faculty are developing in this area themselves. When you, you know, think about that, what do you, how do you advise a faculty member who's trying to gain more self-awareness themselves so that they can foster the kinds of cultural humility we want our students to start developing in our students? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I, I do think I am a big believer in modeling um, and helping uh, faculty to connect that, you know, we teach really through example. And I don't know that this is really something you get from the textbooks. It's, you know, there's the definition, but then how do you apply it? And so I think, you know, it's stepping into some discomfort, mm -hmm. um, being able to be vulnerable and admit um, when you've made mistakes or when you've been challenged and to help students see how to challenge yourself and work through some of those feelings in order to be engaged with the clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Sharupa, I've known you for a long time, so I think that you would be prepared to answer this question. You know, how do you think we have an opportunity at Walden to be a world leader in this topic of developing cultural humility or giving people prescriptive guidance and being prepared to serve the world? All right. Uh, well, um, I will actually start with your uh, definition where you said we could start first with self-reflection, self-critique. I will relate to my personal um, experiences. You know, I come, came from India and I came to US and I've never seen so much diversity in the world. So that's where I started. And then I started with working a faculty member who is from America, but was working in South Asia, started working with her. And I realized, wow, it's a very close country, but whole different culture. Mm -hmm. So that's where my real self-thought and self-reflection started. So that's a basic tenet of um, cultural humility. You start, start with self-reflection, self-thought, and then you uh, bring everyone with you um, and try to incorporate that sense of self-reflection, self-critique. And another thing I'll start as a faculty member is when you go to the classroom, which is another aspect of cultural humility is uh, when you go to the classroom, we always think like we are the faculty members, but we have the students who are coming in or our main focus should be to bring them to the table with an equal power. Like we are coming in with a knowledge of scientific research and psychology or social work or nursing, whatever it is, but our students, they're coming in with their personal experiences you know, and their own perspectives that we don't have. So it's a lifelong learning from both, for both of us. So uh, that we can bring all those things into Walden's mission of social change and understanding the cultural humility. And I think um, I relate to what Topeka probably was saying about creating training sessions about, you know, for our faculty members or also maybe for the students for the basic understanding of cultural humility and how we can develop ourselves so that we can uh, bring the entire community, entire university um, to the world. So another tenet of cultural humility is you work with the advocates mm -hmm. who are already out there 
you know, we're already out there and making the progress and helping others, you know, to become culturally sensitive, culturally um, humble. So that's what Walden can do to build the entire community as a university and then go out there, work with the advocates who are already out there working in the field and make ourselves known. Sarupa, you and I are both to some degree, you more than I, students of Dr. Bonnie Nastasi. So when you talked about going to the communities, you made me think about the concept of working with cultural brokers who are yes. already in communities as opposed to going in communities and telling people what they need, understand what the community has decided or the community has already identified as their most significant needs. Very true. Thank you. Lamar, you know, when we have these discussions that we're having today, it oftentimes feels like it's cyclical, you know, or it's, it's getting a lot of attention today and not so much the next day um, or the next week or the next month. Um, you know, when you think about um, the conversation we're having right now and our role as educators, how do we maintain this discussion about cultural humility, closing success gaps, um, inclusiveness? How do we make that a part of what we do um, and we don't lose momentum? I think for me is that we, every semester or every quarter, we need to start off with the discussion and, and continue that discussion. Uh, with with our students, with our uh, co-workers, other faculty members. Uh, I think it's important that we, the reason I think that it's important is that we don't lose that momentum. Uh, you know, if we look at what's going on in our world today, uh, you see a lot of people out there, uh, rightly so, you know, marching for social justice uh, because of what happened, you know, in, in Minnesota. Uh, unfortunately, uh, something else can happen uh, a couple of weeks from now that will take away uh, the attention that we've been giving uh, to, the, to our social justice needs. So we need to always make sure that um, we bring it to the forefront, not in a um, hostile way, but more in an educational way. And in educating our colleagues, educating our students on the importance of these issues, on the importance of, uh, of uh, looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, you know, why do we feel this way? Or what am I doing to either contribute to the problem or contribute uh, to the success, to the improvement? Lamar, your, your, your statement about student success or contribute to the success is really an important one. And it makes me reflect on Bud Hodgkinson's initial paper about the premise of Walden University. And the idea was that Walden would be a place where everybody had a chance to get an advantage of learning from everybody. Mm -hmm. So that both our students who were traditionally underrepresented and students who were represented well in the university setting, in community and uh, leadership roles would have an opportunity to learn from each other. And the other idea that was expressed is that the faculty member was not an all-knowing person in this setting. 
that we capitalized and used what our students brought to the environment. Antoinette, I'm going to ask you, you know, can you share a little bit about what you're doing um, in the classroom or in the residencies to uh, foster cultural humility among your students? Yes. So I am known as a provocateur in my classroom. So every other week, I post either a video, an article, something in the news, or a post that would get the students talking about these diverse issues. And I believe that if I expect my students to be culturally humble, that starts with me. So I am one that I'm not afraid to be human in my classroom. If I'm hurting, I'm going to tell my students, hey, COVID-19 is stressing me out. How are you all feeling? And I model that for them. I give them permission to be vulnerable. I give them permission to be humble because I bring that to the table. I help them to understand that I'm not all knowing, but I commit to knowing enough to teach you and to lead you. And what I don't know, I commit to finding out so that I bring it to you. I think it, it starts there. It starts with being human. It starts with giving ourselves permission to be uncomfortable. I tell students in the very beginning that you're going to have some spaces where you feel uncomfortable in my classroom because of the conversations that we have. But please know that you'll be validated if you do not believe as everyone else believes. And when you give them permission to be uncomfortable, that's where they give themselves permission to be vulnerable. Well, thank Learn you. in your space of comfort. When you're comfortable, you're not learning anything. It's uncomfortable that you're allowed to stretch, you're allowed to grow and reach your next level of competency. You Alicia, know, can I, I add to that? Yes, certainly. Uh, so Antoinette, <laughs> thank you for, for, for sharing that and what you do in your classroom. And, you know, what, what came front of mind for me when, as you were describing sort of your practice is creating safe zones. You know, I, I try to create a safe zone uh, in my course where, where students feel like they can have self-reflection and self-critique. One of the things that I do is I, I allow them to do mock interviews um, or mock and mock oral defenses right there within our cohort and then they work with their peers to say how well they did what they could have done differently um, even if they have a job interview we'll let them come in our cohort and actually our their peers will ask them questions they even help them prepare for a job interview it's a safe zone um, to and when you and when you start having students be self-aware then they could take that away from walden and then start to practice that in their work environment so Thank you, Antoinette, for sharing that. I, I love your, the, the practice you're using. And I, I wanted to share something, too, because Greg started off, I'm glad, because I was uh, sitting here boiling, if it's okay for me to say this. <laughs> I mean, it was just troubling my soul. So uh, when Antoinette was talking about this, you know, like what Greg said, the safe zone, but I felt that um, one of the things that's so heavy in uh, cultural humility is silence. Silence on the people who are powerful and can do something that have power to change things and then also silence of the the people who are being hurt because those people are feeling shut down by that power 
And one of the things that I thought was important, what Antoinette was talking about, kind of similar, is that I feel that giving students voice or our voices, um, we need to be heard. So even taking the, I, I felt a, a passion to take experiences of my students to my uh, administration or uh, other people to let them know and get the students permission, like, can I share this? Because we need to hear your story. We have to hear your voice. It's painful, it's hurtful, but we've got to hear it. And I didn't want it to be uh, such a, a petting zoo for the students, like they're on display and you know their pain is up there for us to touch, poke and feel, but more, more that we have to hear so that we can be activated to do the things that Antoinette is talking about. So that's all I want to add. I'm sorry if I took too Oh, long. no, thank you so, thank you so much for um, adding those things. Um, I wanted to um, go to Kathy for a second. Uh, similar to the question I asked of Antoinette, can you share with us what you're doing in the ac academic settings you're in and training settings you're in to close the to close the student success gap amongst your students. <laughs> I knew that. Sure. Um, just piggybacking on the, the excellent remarks. Uh, I'd written stuff down that you it's like you stretched through and took it off of my paper. And which means we're all feeling and thinking the same thing. You know, I, I hear that the term culture humility. I think about the students, I think about faculty, and this word keeps popping up and it's popped up many times before in conversations if you sat with me, and it's desire. Do I desire to even look at that concept and look within so that I can be what I expect my students um, and peers to be? Some people that talk about cultural humility um, have never danced with cultural humility. And one of the things I, I share when I'm training um, professionals, I share a story about an, um, a practice of foot washing that my family, we do once in a while, we need to do one, but it's a very humbling um, process where I put myself, and I'll give you the quick example of washing my, my twin boy's feet some years ago. I placed him in a position that was higher than I, I knelt and washed his feet, dried them. Then I said, I'm not a perfect mother. I know I've said and done things that made you go, hmm, can you tell me about a time when I've done that? And I listened and it hurt because he went to town on me. He just said, you did do this. And I had to say, first of all, acknowledge my actions and how it impacted him and then seek his forgiveness. Then we would pray together and then we would switch it. And I think that it's important for us to understand that our students who are trying to be efficient come with a story. Our students are feeling all that we're talking about, all of the stuff we've sat through listening, you know, with the pandemics, the racial um, tension, the COVID, and then we're all dealing with losses. We've lost people, mm -hmm. people. Every day, it's frightening to turn on, look at your phone and look at social media. Our students are carrying this stuff too. So it's important to remember those students have stories. They're still trying to function and wear those hats. But it's important for us to put ourselves in a position to not only be their educator, but one who genuinely cares about their story and how we can take that story and take uh -huh. them 
get them to the next level. So we have to be aware of what's inside of us because if we don't face that, it will control and dictate how we listen, how we operate, how we respond to our students and ensuring their success. So it's a holistic piece um, that mm-hmm. we need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Beecher, can I add, you know, I know you're going to ask me a question, so feel free to take my question away, you know. Um, but, but wow, KG, I love that. You know, man, you just got my mind to thinking. You know, I think it's important. We're living in a time where, where people are being called out on things. And I, I, what I heard you and Antoinette said and others say, it, it's a time of not calling out, but calling in. Yes. And Savitra, I think that's a gift that you have. Since the first time I met you, although you have a position, you never call us out. You mm. always call us in to yes. a topic, a discussion. Yes. And as organizations, we're always focused on how to change the organization as a whole without thinking about it really starts with one leader at a time, one mm-hmm. faculty meter at a time, a uh, mm-hmm. member at a time. And it directly connects to what Brett was talking about, even as he's talking about enrollment. Our enrollment will never increase if we don't build relationships which come from building trust. Mm-hmm. And then I'll end with this, what, what KG is talking about. I said to you, Savitra, yesterday, it's important relationships matter, especially as faculty members. And it yes. starts with trust. I had a gentleman tell me a couple weeks ago, he said it also be, starts with intimacy. And he said this, in to me, see. In to me, see. And I've tried to apply that to my students, not to look at them as 20 or 30 students at a time, but look at each one of their journeys individually and see into each one of their life experiences and not call them out, but to call them in to this Walden journey. If I can just finish, just piggyback on what, what you're saying, Greg. Two things. Um, the calling in, I have a, a colleague, Dr. Shinobia Webster-Hill, who often talks, uses that term and is intentional and teaches that to us. Um, it's, it's so, so important to remember that our students come with various gifts. And one of those gifts may be a discerning eye. They know what we're carrying. So we have to do the work that we need to do and to ensure that we are desirous um, of cultural humility in order to ensure um, culturally responsive practices in the classroom. And, and I'm, I'm really trying so hard to sit and wait myself as Benton said, and I'm fidgeting, you know, I'm like having some moments here <laughs> so much, but you know, just a, a couple of things. I so appreciate that. And, and Kathy, um, okay, gee, that is very much, you know, m- my intent behind my earlier statement about making it mandatory. Right. Um, because, you know, if, if we don't have the desire, don't see the need of having it or think that we already know it, then we won't go get it. And we won't allow ourselves to be in those spaces, Greg, where we can be seen in two. Yes. And sometimes we need other people to help us see into ourselves because, We have our own socializations, right? We have our own conditioned minds. And so unless somebody helps us see that conditioning, we may not see it for ourselves. 
And so, you know, this creating the safe space, I do want to make a comment about that. That safe does not mean that it's easy and comfortable. Mm. That I like to pair safe with courage. That it is a safe, courageous space so that you can get the information you need to get. Whatever truth that's there, you have help. And getting that to come out, but also recognizing that once you're at the table, you don't leave from the table because it's uncomfortable and it's unfamiliar because that seat is hot. You may have to step away a minute and say, oh, I need a breather. I need some iced tea or something. But you come back to the table and get what you need to get. So, you know, I just want to make this emphasis. We're talking a lot about the students, but it's about us as well and how we are with each other as faculty how we're interrelating with one another in emails, how we're interrelating with one another when we were on ground at NFM <laughs> and residencies and all those things. But it's us together as well. How are we connecting and hearing one another? And how is that influencing our expectations of performance, our expectations of each other, and our expectations of students? So, Petra, I have one quick uh, question that in terms of I think we could ask. Okay. And dealing with the students or even ourselves. We could ask, when was the last, excuse me, when was the first or last time you learned a valuable lesson from nature, a child, a stranger, underserved population, a person that you admire or someone who appeared to have a different lifestyle or from your worldview? That will help, I believe, to... Uh, spark a conversation because sometimes people may not feel comfortable and so when you ask them that question this are you know our students in the discussion forum that levels the playing field and then you also have an insight into their responses so you know the landscape that you're dealing with and how you can even uh, respond or interact with students including faculty mm -hmm. thank you Thank you. Um, Mina, I want to bring you into the conversation because I want to, um, I've worked with you a long time and I know you've had a variety of roles with the organization and you've worked with faculty at different places. You know, when you are working with a junior faculty member or a faculty member for, um, you know, who hasn't really stopped to think about how they're working to support uh, the, the development and the professional and academic development of a diverse group of students. How do you coach them through a process of being better in that way? I'm loving this uh, idea of calling in since I actually am good at doing both calling in and calling out. Um, and so one of the things I'm having to be, I have to be mindful of when I'm working with faculty is, is, is which I'm doing. Uh, you know, the first thing I do is, is focus on awareness and getting a sense from the faculty member about what they think happened, right, or how they're uh, viewing their students in the classroom or how they're viewing Walden uh, and get the sense from them about, you know, where they came from, what their exposure had been before. I think that's very helpful for me to have the context before I start to sort of talk about here's where we are and here's what we're looking for. And so it's sort of related to Greg's thought about the relationship, right? So I'm trying to develop a relationship with uh, the faculty I'm working with because I think with relationships, it makes everything easier. 
Uh, and then it's really talking about my own experiences uh, in mentoring and working with diverse populations. I think the culturally humble idea, um, while you know, not all of us have that particular language we've used in our own lives, you know, maybe we demonstrate uh, uh, the concepts in our, in our focus. And so I'm talking about, you know, with all the training I've had, all the work I've done, teaching and research and so forth, there are certainly blind spots I have that I'm working on. And so I will sometimes talk with faculty about those because what has, you know, again, as I mentioned, I think Tamika might have also mentioned that uh, it's, and Dana Marie, it's hard to be, to demonstrate your discomfort, right? You don't want to come off as faculty as looking like this or, you know, you're, or, or worse, you know, you're, you're racist and, you, and you're, you know, you're oblivious, your privilege is all there and you're not seeing any of it. And so I think it's helpful to model, yeah, you know, none of us are uh, at, the, at the pinnacle, right? We're all learning. We're all learning. And so just like I'm learning, here are some things that I think will be very helpful for you. Or, you know, have you considered that this might be what's going on with the student? Or what do you think is happening right now with the students in your classroom considering what's going on out here? And so sort of giving uh, the faculty, both through my modeling as well as uh, context, uh, some, I don't know, some ways to get more comfortable and become more open to, to learning. So that's typically how I approach things. Thank you so much, Nina. Um, I think that, I mean, that it's really important and it's something that we have to think about because I will tell you when I came to this environment, I was a little guilty having been in, at that point, maybe 15 years of being in what we refer to as the traditional university environments, a brick and mortar, where there was a lot of engagement around faculty, um, staff, around these topics. I made the assumption when I came here that maybe that was the experience of everybody who converged in the organization. And it's just not the case. And as we have more and more people who are being trained in distance education environments where the focus on student development in this way has not traditionally been the same as what you find in brick and mortar institutions. We have to always do a knowledge check, understanding check, attitude check to be clear about, you know, where people stand on things. Um, Jesse, you can um, talk about this in any direction you want, but one of the things that is important to me is that we are thoughtful about how we are preparing our students to work with the communities they serve, to work with their colleagues. So you, can you specifically tell us a little bit about how you're doing that, and how you're mentoring other people to be able to represent their profession, to, to, how you're mentoring other people to foster our students' development in that way so that they're representing their profession well, and they're calling, they're responding to the call of their profession right now. Well, again, I think a lot of things have been stated already, but one of the big things that I try to do is um, humility and humbleness is definitely there, empathy as well. But one of the big things is that being, providing that safe zone that most people, they, they have something to say, and they're usually afraid to say it, or afraid it's going to be taken out of content. So providing that area of a safe zone where you provide empathy. 
Um, my first time, it was actually a person that was on drugs that was mandated to talk to us about their drug process and why they recidivize. I had no idea. For me, we were always trained, somebody commits a crime, you arrest them. This person not only gave me empathy on why they did the things that they did, because they took the time to explain something that I would never understand. So you take that with our students to understand something that they've done all their life, and you have the opportunity to explain to them why we do things different. I've had international students that sometimes when we teach them, they also have things to teach us back, and we need to be open to learn from them as much as we're trying to give them. So it's a two-way street where we're not just given one way, that they have a lot to give us from their culture. So in taking that, that also applies to our leadership role. So that when I learned empathy from that young lady that was in the street selling drugs, doing drugs, I was able to take that empathy back that I learned from her and apply it to my officers, to my policies, and how every people operate it within. So every time I learn something new from a student, I'm able to reapply that back into my classroom. Mm -hmm. And then also give them a voice because most people get frustrated when they don't know how to explain something or they think that they're not being heard. So by giving them that avenue, an opportunity to be able to discuss and be open and willing to learn from them, it, gives, it starts to build on to them that whole object, we're learning to do good for nothing. I'm not looking for anything from them. I'm learning to do good for nothing. And they're not expecting anything from me, but just to be able to hear their word and listen. And you yeah. pick that up from having a lot of sisters too. We, we, sometimes we just need to shut up and listen and understand that fact that we're not there to fix everything, but just to listen and, and mm -hmm. give them the opportunity to say what they need to say. Thanks for listening to part one. Continue to hear this conversation in part two.